Hi, this is Linda Weston and you're listening to the Linda with a Y podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of the second year of Linda with a Y. That's a bit of a tongue twister, isn't it? I do my podcast for a year, basically. Yay! <laughs> so, this week I have on Jennifer Hayden. I keep on calling her Jennifer Sampson throughout the whole podcast because I knew her before she was married. I think that happens to absolutely everyone when they get married and change their name. But Jen- me and Jennifer met in Australia. And we came home. We had our families and we stayed very close. We have a very intense voice note relationship as we speak of in the podcast <laughs> we could be voice on each other for the whole day but we wouldn't see each other for years does anyone else have a friend like that that's what me and jenny are like but jenny has a son jack and jack was diagnosed with autism the podcast is about their journey from the diagnosis to where they are now listen to jenny speak i've never seen so much growth the way she's talking to me about her son the way she's talking to me about the things that she's done with her son to get to where they are now it's just it really it does bring so much hope and it's an honest description of what people go through after a diagnosis but there is always hope as jenny says and to always 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 keep that hope because that is what gets you through and that is just what resonates throughout the whole podcast i'm just so proud of jenny like when i was listening to it all the way through it I was trying not to let her know I was crying. I kept on putting my mic on mute just because it's just so amazing just to see how far she's come and how far her son has come and how far her whole family have come. She speaks about her husband, Robbie, in the podcast as well. So this is my podcast with Jenny Hayden, not Samson, (laughs) called Why We Should Never Give Up Hope. Thanks for doing it, Jenny. I'm so proud of you. It's so weird seeing you because, guys, all my Linda with a Y listeners, me and Jenny Sampson have such... Jenny, you're not said Jenny Sampson anymore. You're Jenny Hayden, are you? I'm Jenny Hayden now, You're Jenny yeah. Hayden, Sammy Hayden. We have such an intense voice note relationship. I don't know if anyone else has this, right? <laughs> but yeah. me and Jenny, like, we get deep in those voice notes, man. We are talking about... Yeah, everything. we really do. <laughs> Things get so deep. But we met each other in Australia. Not a care yeah. in the world. So then, I remember when I first met you, I was like... <laughs> This is when we really bonded. I was like, so, uh, did you ever watch The Hills? And you were like, yeah. I was like, Laguna Beach? Towie? And you were like, you watched it all. We were like, both these reality TV horrors. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, I'm in love. <laughs> that was where the true bonding happened. Then we got home, Jen. And you know, real life began. The real mm. life of Jenny and Linda began. You met Robbie. Yeah. I think you actually went back over to Australia with Robbie, didn't you? Yeah, I went. I met Robbie when I came back. Is Robbie from Qatar? Yeah. So I went to school with Robbie's sister. Stop. And yeah, like I, there was pictures of me in Robbie's house when I made my communion. And all. <laughs> so it was not. I I always knew of him. Yeah. And then um, I met him. We met like on a night out. We kind of friends in common, and that was it. We were very serious very quickly. Like yeah, that's like and weird, I think uh, what were I think we were. We were living together after a year and then I think as soon as we moved in, we got pregnant like shortly after that. So 
Yeah, me and Steve moved really in after fast. me and Steve moved in down for four months, and like that's even a lie. Yeah. I think I moved in instantly, but we were just too yeah. embarrassed to say anything. I was like, "Don't even tell anyone." But I think we were just—I think me and you were kind of them kind of people. We're one of them people that were really in love with the idea of love as well. Of love, so the minute yeah. we, we were got really romantic. the minute we fell in love, we were like, "Be with me all the time. I can't live without yeah. you." <laughs> yeah, we were like so then you got ill. Pre- you got pregnant on Jack, and what was the pregnancy like, Jen? So um, it was normal enough, like I was really sick for the first three months mm-hmm. um, and I was, I remember I fainted a couple of times like that summer nearly killed me. He was a September baby. Oh my God. God I remember Jesus. fainting in a taxi <gasps> and I, yeah, I was, I was just quite sick. I just, it wasn't like a really easy pregnancy, but it wasn't awful either. It was yeah. just like, it was just pregnancy. It was kind of crap. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just, I was just sick. Like I felt sick all the time. Yeah. And um, so, but yeah, there was nothing to, nothing major to my pregnancy. Like. Yeah. I think I was the same. Um, when you go through the summer and you're pregnant, I'm like people that have their kids in winter, I'm like, you don't understand. <laughs> oh, don't I tell you like, don't understand it. <laughs> I was like, and Robbie used to say, I used to get into the car and the windows would like steam up. I was just boiling hot all the time. <laughs> I can imagine your face. My face was the exact same. Oh I was my like God. purple all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so then the beautiful, gorgeous little Jack was born and we are all obsessed with yeah. this beautiful baby with these gorgeous eyes was born uh, what was he like Jenny I remember the photos when I seen him when he's a kid he just has your beautiful little face oh he was just so stunning what was he like as a little gorgeous. baby oh he was so cute like he, he was so cute but he was the clingiest baby he literally needed to be on me all the yeah. time like Jack never sat in a bouncer I think I threw his cot out after about a month or something. <laughs> you're just, like, you're coming like, with me, baby. You're coming even with if me. He got, even if he looked at him, he'd start crying. <laughs> so, like, he basically slept. He was he was just a real kind of high-needs baby. He was yeah. he slept on our chests. He needed to be held all the time. He actually needed a lot of, a lot of motion. Like, he always needed to be rocked. Um, and he never really settled into a sleep, like in the buggy or in any of the, like we, I must've had every contraption under the sun and I didn't use any of them on him. Yeah. So he was just always with me and he always needed a lot of comfort. And I think even with you, when we were, even back when we were in Australia days, like 23, 24, I remember you saying, just you, you were even minding babies back then. You knew everything I about babies, babies back then. You loved babies back then. Yeah. And like 23, 20, 24 year old Linda was like, kids would just cry the minute they saw me <laughs> like I've never bonded with another child only be I'm too loud yeah. they just hate me like do you know what I mean? and I understand no. it Under- <laughs> I remember I was minding a baby in Australia I think you were brilliant with them so then when you had Jack I felt like you would have been a lot more prepared than other mammies might have been that, oh really everyone and I think Robbie especially was like grand listen she's gonna do everything <laughs> <laughs> so when I was like eh, can you feed him even once tonight we're like before I die of exhaustion I haven't slept in three months he was like oh for fuck's sake <laughs> <laughs> so I think everyone just thought okay she's so much experience with babies like I'd worked in crashes and I was at that point that I got pregnant I was Montessori teacher so I did background in it yeah. but still like didn't matter nothing can prepare you for yeah the 
like the exhaustion. That's so the sleep, the bring me through the sleep, what you were just saying, just there. The t- so his sleep was just very bad. He just never, like, and when he was a nor- newborn, it was normal for him to be like that. So, but there was something, I, I don't know whether it was like a mother's intuition or whether it was just that I was very anxious and I was a re- I was really anxious when he was a baby and I had a real problem separating from him mm-hmm. and being away from him. And um, so I remember he was very rigid. He had reflux. He had silent reflux. And there was times his body would go so rigid and he just would do these funny little things with his body. And I remember thinking it was kind of strange. Okay. And I remember bringing him into um, Temple Street for constipation. He was always really constipated as well. And he was only five weeks old. And I remember going in because he was constipated. But once I got the nurse on her own or the doctor on her own, I was like, is there something wrong with my child? Is okay. there something wrong with him? Okay. And she was like, what? And I know my sister's first baby had um, lysencephaly, which is a complete smooth brain disorder. And she had a lot of infantile spasms. And there was times that Jax was doing this thing with his body. And now it probably was just from the reflux. Was he making a certain sound? What was he doing? Like, what do you mean rigid? Like, just he was just kind of, his sound. body would just go completely straight. Right. And it was like, he was really struggling. And he'd make, he'd have like, sometimes he'd do laughter that didn't really, I wasn't doing anything to make him laugh, maybe. Okay. okay. Now, I don't know if that has anything to do with it. But I remember I had a feeling deep down that I was like, is everything okay with them? And I remember saying that to the nurse that day, but she had a good look with them and she was like, what? And she was like, absolutely not. He's he's not having spasms. He's absolutely fine. And she was like, you know, when you have silent reflux, it's like, you know, it's like vomit going up and down your throat and it's really uncomfortable for and them. you're meant to keep them up straight and stuff like that, aren't you? Isn't that what it is? That's yeah, he, he was always things. upright. Yeah, upright. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so that was kind of fine. I kind of felt better after that. Um, and tell me the sleeping patterns, though. I remember you telling me before during one of our many long voice notes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he'd be, because my Jordan was the same. Like, I remember people saying to me, how many times did Jordan wake up at night? And I'm like, how many hours are there in a day? Like, that's how many times Jordan wakes up in a night. And like, I was so, I'll never forget how angry I was, Jen. Like I was like, if God yeah. forbid, I have this in one of my podcasts at the beginning. God forbid someone told me they were tired. Like if, if yeah. someone told me they were tired that didn't have a kid and I'm not like, I feel bad for whoever did tell me they were tired that listened to this <laughs> podcast. It would ruin my day. I told, I was like, I know. how dare they say that to me? Yeah. I was, I just was not myself whatsoever. And I'd cry constantly, but it was all sleep deprivation. So was yeah. little Jacko, what was he like? Was he the same every hour? Yeah, he seemed to just be some nights. It was like he'd wake on the hour. I remember Before a lot of bye like bye. walking around with him, constantly needing to give him motion Little to get him back bye to sleep. Bye. And um, just, yeah, I just remember being up with him so much during the night. Like yeah. a lot of kind of, he like some nights he could sleep and then he could have a good three hours and then wake up. Or some nights he could wake up and be awake for three hours. So it was very hard. The the beginning stage was like, it was so brilliant in ways. And, you know, I was so in love with them and so was Robbie. But it was really hard. And I found that really hard to admit because it felt like admitting, oh God, like I'm really struggling. Yeah. I felt like I was saying, I don't love my child. And I felt like that was just 
yeah. people would think. So I was always trying to be fine about it, but yeah. I was like falling apart. I was so skinny as well. I was probably, I think I was like seven and a half stone, like oh with pictures gosh. of me and Jack. Uh, and I was like, and that was, he was only three months, like the, the Christmas, the first Christmas, he was a September baby. We have pictures of me and like, I look like a skeleton. I didn't eat. I didn't sleep. And I was so anxious as well. And I couldn't separate from him. So I never really had a break. I never would be away from him. I remember my mom coming over when he was a couple of months old and she was like, "Okay, look, I'm going to give you a sleeping tablet. And I, you know, you need to sleep for a couple of hours. I couldn't sleep on demand. And then she was like, I'm going to bring him for a walk. She gave it to me. I must have slept for about 20 minutes. I woke up and I was like ringing her eyes like, where's Jack? I was like, bring him home now. I'm going to I was losing my mind. But you know what, Jenny, even me just saying that to you there, oh, sure, everyone thought you were so prepared, Jenny. You were the one that loved the babies. Yeah. You were the Montessori teacher. So for you to say, oh, guys, I don't think that I'm, um, I think I'm struggling here. So it was so I much was harder really for struggling. you. Oh, Jen, that's so hard. And I just couldn't say it. Yeah, I couldn't say it to anyone. Yeah, I'm um, I say everyone knew though, but they were like, don't say it to Jenny. <laughs> oh, definitely. My mom definitely was like, oh God. And poor yeah. Robbie. <laughs> yeah, you're like, what do you mean? What, what are you saying? <laughs> no, if, if anyone couldn't say they were tired, it was Robbie. If he ever, I was like, excuse me. <laughs> there. I was like. <laughs> so the science, Jenny, we're um, what was the first milestone in Jack's life that you were like, okay, um, let's bring him in somewhere. Let's see if something's okay. Uh, what was the first milestone, do you think? So, see, all those fears I had when he was a small baby kind of went away as he got older because when Jack was six months, he got a lot better and, like, naps got better. His sleep generally got better mm-hmm. <clears throat> to a point. And he... And um, he sat up early. He walked early. So he did. He reached those milestones Brilliant. before, like early. So <clears throat> there was no kind of concern. And it was only when he was about one and a half. Now, I remember once he turned one, people always asked me, oh, can he say anything? Is he saying anything yet? And he wasn't mm-hmm. saying anything. Yeah. And then when he was about, it was about 18 months, maybe. Um, that was a real kind of turning point. I remember noticing if I ever met anyone on the road he'd be bawling his eyes out crying he had this massive react overreaction to people anyone coming into space yeah and he wasn't saying anything still he was a little bit disengaged and unexplained kind of hyperactivity and laughter and like he'd wake up during the night sometimes and he'd be hysterically laughing or and he'd be like wide awake and I do remember thinking all of that was kind of strange. The sleep always kind of gave me a little bit of a feeling like, okay, is this... Even all the things you're saying there, though, Jenny, that is still something that, like, a baby that isn't on the spectrum can do as well, though. Do you know what I mean? That's why I think it's <laughs> so terrifying. Because you're like, am I just overreacting here? Am I thinking yeah. too much here? Everything that you just mentioned there, I think, is something that a baby that isn't on the spectrum could also have as well. So it, it must be such exactly. a, a battle in your mind all the time. I was kind of, so I was able to put everything down to Jack being really attached to me. I mean, Jack was still sleeping, nuzzled up to my chest every night. He depended, so he was completely dependent on me for sleep, naps and bedtime. And he was just, I remember my mom saying, you know, his world is very small. Like he's never been 
I never really let anyone have him or mind him. He was always with us. And I kind of put everything down to that. Yeah. But there was things like he was hand flapping. He was going up on his tippy toes, uh, walking on his tippy toes. And he was then... He was just, yeah, he did a couple of kind of strange things, I suppose. Like the laughing used to worry me. Yeah. Um, And he didn't really play with any toys. Okay. So there was definitely signs there, but I was in complete denial. And I just put everything down to him being quite attached to us. So when was the day you went, okay, let's let's see. Let's go in somewhere and see if, if something. So I remember one thing that stood out to me. He he wasn't really playing with toys but he would put everything in his mouth right so like there's something called the oral fixation phase that you get that like it starts at about six months and so it's really normal for a baby uh up to one maybe one and a half at the very most i think to put stuff in their mouth and to be constantly looking for that sensory feedback and Mm -hmm. sensory information from their mouth but Jack was too, and like he was putting things in his mouth, or he like licked walls and all. Like he was just, and I just remember being like, when he turned two, um, a couple of people saying, you know, Jenny, he doesn't really answer when you call his name, and he's not responding to people, and you know, he's he's still not saying anything, and that just used to make me angry. To be honest, of I used course. to just be like, I can't believe she said that. Yeah, <laughs> like we're course. never going back there. Of course, and what I'd like to say, what I want to ask you there as well is, how can someone come to you though? Like, would you have rather no one come to you because you had them anxieties in your head? Yeah, I mean, I knew deep down, like, I did know deep down there was something. Yeah. But I just couldn't face up to it. It was like, I feel like it was kind of like running from something his whole life. Oh my god! Like having this mother's instinct deep down, knowing, like, there was always something there. Okay. And I just couldn't face up to it because it was just breaking my heart. I couldn't, I couldn't go there yet. Yeah. But it did become very obvious after his second birthday. And I remember kind of my last ditch attempt was everyone was like, would you put him in a little play group even once a week, just so he has some interaction with other people and he's not just with you and Robbie all of the time. Yeah. So I tried that first day he went in, it was a local little crash and, um, he went in for 15 minutes and they were just in the garden. And I don't actually think he noticed that we were even gone. He was just playing and he was all these new things. And when I came back, the girl, and I actually knew this girl, I went to school with her and she said, have you ever thought to get his ears tested? Um, I did notice he doesn't really, he's not really responding. And her son had had the same problem, but he just needed grommets. So I was like, okay. And in a way I was really relieved. And I was like, oh my God, that's it. Brilliant. He just needs grommets. There's nothing wrong with him delighted and then the next day he was meant to go back for half an hour and I brought him in and I think that day he did realize and I went outside and she was like okay come back in half an hour and I just didn't leave the building I waited outside and I could hear him crying I think I went in after about 15 minutes I just knew something wasn't right yeah I just again instincts went in and I got him and I was like no I just don't think this is going to work I don't think he's ready for something like this and I remember that day kind of knowing kind of feeling getting a vibe maybe from them that they felt something wasn't right so you left that day and you said right let I kind of well I didn't know I didn't do anything that day I remember that really I remember just this this period of time between his second birthday which was the 6th of September and kind of the end of October which was when I I did realize so another 
time. So shortly after that, I went to the park with my sister. Okay. And now she had had three kids yep. at the time. And I, Jack was on the swing and he was like hysterically laughing. And he just, I can't remember, he was totally disengaged. And I just remember he was doing, he was hand flapping a lot. Like he was flapping his hands mm-hmm. and doing a couple of things. And I was like, what? I don't know. But Louise saw my face and she was like, are you okay? Ah, Jen. And I was like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm fine. And I still was like, oh God, I can't deal with this. And then she, she offered, I was always walking him and I, she was like, I'll drive you home. And then in the car, she said, look, Jenny, are you okay? Like you look really worried. Like, is everything okay? And I think at that point, I just burst into tears and I told her everything. Well done, Jenny. Yes. Yeah, so and I was like, oh God. And I was like, okay, I, I think there's something's wrong. And I can't, I was like, but I just, I don't want to do it. I don't want to know. I almost don't want to know. Yeah. And she was great. And she was like, look, let's just go. She said, just go, bring him to get his ears tested and bring him to a speech therapist and then go from there. Mm-hmm. And, and we did. That was it then. That was the start of it. So you went to the speech therapist first? Is that what you said? No, we went and got his ears tested first. Right. And there was absolutely nothing wrong with his ears. And But even Where in the... Where did you go? I went. So I got his ear. I think somewhere over the south side. I think Robbie's dad recommended it. And it was like, a, it was private. Uh, because basically, so I rang the health nurse. Right. And I told him my concerns. And... I was on a waiting list and you have to fill out an assessment. So you get an assessment of need. The first thing you do is get an assessment of need form. Okay. Fill it out, which was horrific because it was basically outlining all the things that he should have been doing that he wasn't. Oh, Jen. So it was like, at 24 months, they should be doing this and Jack wasn't doing most of them. Oh, Jen. I remember sobbing, filling that out. And just like, I literally wanted to burn it. Mm-hmm. So that was the assessment the need for him. But I found out then that he would be on a wait list for it could be up to 18 months to be diagnosed oh my God. or to be seen. So I, we were like, OK, we have to go private. So we went privately and got his ears tested and um, they came back and said uh, his ears are absolutely fine. But the, the, there was a lady that was testing him. So she was testing him with play and with what he could hear. But she said to me, I think he's absolutely fine. He's so he was really engaged with me. Yeah. But that's just Jack. So when Jack is one on one with someone and you're doing something, you're interested in something, he's really engaging with you and he's really happy and he's like, he's a very like content child. Mm -hmm. So I was always kind of on the fence. I was like, is there something wrong? Because he does all these other things that are so brilliant and he's so. So conflicting. Your mind just must be at a war with itself, Jenny, the whole time. I was so conflicted. And then, so after the ear test, I kind of, my, I, I felt better. I was like, maybe he is fine. He's just a bit delayed in some areas. And then we went to the speech therapist and I will never forget this day because we went in, she kind of assessed him. And then after about 15 minutes, she sat us down and said, okay, he has um, a lot of red flags for autism. And he, what did she say? She said, on the uh, so I have to do she had to do this test and she said and he's scored he's scored basically like zero in the communication for what a child his age should be doing so <clears throat> I remember that was awful so I just remember we got back in the car and I just sobbed my heart out the whole way home 
I I think I cried for a couple of days. That moment exactly like the way you're saying, like she said them things to you. It's like you don't even remember what she says, but that feeling you're never going to forget. Or even now I can see uh-huh. her face. I'm looking at you. I can see that you're reliving yeah. it in your mind. So it's like all your fears have come true. But for someone that say that's listening to this that is going through that moment now or might just be waiting for that, what yeah. what do you think helped you come around at that moment? I remember I rang my sister and she and I think because Louise had had a little baby that was very sick, mm-hmm. very sick, and she passed away when she was five. I just back, felt yeah. like I could I could relate to Louise just in some way that Louise had been there and gotten bad news about her baby before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she had some experience. She had like she had an awful experience of it, but she was able to kind of guide me and say, "Look, it's going to be okay." you don't even know yet she was like you don't know that woman saw him for 15 minutes yeah I think I probably clung on to that a bit too much as well <laughs> so <laughs> I was like yeah exactly <laughs> fine. so <laughs> but but that was it then then so we got him privately diagnosed then and, and how do you do that where do you go for that so we rang so it was a, so we the first protocol is go to speech therapy yeah. if the first protocol is get their ears tested rule out any hearing problems okay then go to speech therapy and that speech therapist will be linked in with someone in psychology that will do a diagnosis and it's it has to be a speech i think it's like and psychology that diagnose anyway okay so it was kind of a sister company to the speech therapist that we were with that diagnosed him and i, I remember it was a bit of a drive it was like I can't remember where it was now. I'm sorry. I'm really bad. It's at okay. That. It's okay. But, yeah. Um, I remember going out and expecting the diagnosis process to be really long mm-hmm. and it wasn't. So they met with us for about an hour and then they met Jack for about, felt like about 15 dip minutes, did this little test on him. And then we had to go back a second day and they did another, a kind of a longer test with the speech therapist there. And it was on camera. It was videoed and everything. So they obviously had to study it. And I remember in the waiting room, waiting with Jack and the, the psychologist came out and Jack was looking at something that he was really excited about and he was flapping his hands. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, does he do that all the time? <laughs> and Robbie was like, yeah, he actually does it all the time. I was like, the aunt, very odd time, <laughs> maybe once or twice. Yeah. <laughs> Not a lot, Robbie. Well, I was Robbie. still, yeah. I was like, you can wait in the car if you want. Oh, I was, so I was still really, I didn't want this diagnosis. No. So that, look, that was that. But the actual day he was diagnosed. Yeah, tell me about that. That was, um, that was really horrible, awful. So we we went on our own. So we left Jack with Robbie's mom and sister and we went over. And I think even the whole way over, I was still hopeful. I was still very hopeful that they would say, there's a slight delay in his speech, but no, he's fine. He's not on the spectrum. But as soon as we sat down, he got out all his reports and he said, yeah, um, Jack uh, is definitely autistic. And I burst into tears and he said, oh, sorry. And did you not think I was going to say that, though? Oh, my God. It was obviously really obvious to him. Yeah. But I was so well protected by my denial. Yeah, I was like, well, no, and then I think the rest of the meeting, I was just really angry. I just hated them. Yeah, hey, <laughs> well, that, that's not very nice at all. That's that's not very compassionate. Yeah, he wasn't very like supportive. He kind of so basically, you just get this diagnosis report, and you're on your way. Okay. I remember we got into the car, and we drove home in complete silence. Jen. 
I was like frozen. Yeah. I felt like I was frozen in fear. And I don't know what was going on in Robbie's head, but Robbie, neither of us could speak. We weren't talking. We got to Robbie's house. He got into his van and had to go back to work. And like, that breaks my heart because I feel like men don't talk to people. No. And what was he thinking in that van? Yeah. What was he thinking? And he just said, and I've asked him about it since, but he said, he just remembers having to go back to work and kind of put on a brave face. And the guy that was working for him knew what was going on. He said, so what happened? And he was like, yeah, no, yeah, he definitely, he's on the spectrum. And he was like, okay. And that was it. Yeah. What was it like for you during that time of the diagnosis, after the diagnosis? How did this, this elephant in the room all the time, was that how it felt? I, th- I think my first reaction was I thought really, I kept thinking really far into the future. And I was always asking people questions. I was always like asking therapists and stuff like, is he going to talk? And I remember actually the psychologist that diagnosed him. The only question I asked him was, is Jack ever going to have any friends? Aww. And he said, oh, God, sorry, this made me real. No, you're a little cry. Said, um, Stop. You're a little cry. I'm crying. He said he, will, he said he will have friends, but they'll be, they'll be his type of friends. He's never going to have loads of friends. He's never going to want to be in a big, huge group. So, but you'll, he said, you'll come to accept Jack for the way he is. Yeah. And I remember I went home. And I just grabbed him and I just remember holding him really tightly. And all that was going through my head was, I am going to protect this child. I am never going to let anything happen to you. No one's ever going to upset you. I'm going to protect you from everything. Like, and I was already very (laughs) overprotective and attached. So for me, the diagnosis really drove that behavior. And I became much more protective of him. And for Robbie, and I also didn't want to talk about it. I couldn't bring myself to talk about it. I just, I don't know what it did to me. It was like I'd just freeze up and it just, I couldn't. That's and Robbie so would have loved to talk about it. Yeah. So yeah. Robbie really wanted someone to talk to. And he probably talked to family, but he couldn't talk to me. So he wanted to talk about it. You didn't want to talk about it at all. What did that do to your relationship? So we we basically kind of ended up on two separate pages Robbie wanted to get into support groups he wanted to really expose Jack to everything and like really get him we both wanted to get him loads of therapy and that was like that we had that in common but I didn't want to expose him in the sense I just wanted to protect him so I protected Jack from everything from noise from people from any experience that would upset him. Yeah, you didn't want him. You didn't want him to be upset ever. You were like, right, yeah, I know this is going to hurt his little ears, so I'm not going to put him in that situation. So did they tell you to put them in the situation to make it like the doctors or whoever you spoke to? Are you meant to expose them to it to make them feel easier with it? or You're meant to expose them little by little. Yeah. But I mean, if you get a place in an ASD specific class for a three-year-old which is kind of what Robbie wanted him to do they do go and they go for four hours a day and for me I was like there's no way he's never been away from me for that long and he was so sensitive to noise and people and he was so timid yeah I just couldn't I just couldn't imagine doing that so I didn't want to do that and Robbie did 
and then so there was lots of things like that like Robbie wanted to expose him to things and I didn't or even when we were out in the park he'd be like come on we'll, we'll bring him in here it'd be fine I'd be like no Jesus yeah. no that looks bad him I just want to say as your friend looking in on say like we, we'd have our voice no relationship that we had back and forth but yeah even like Instagram photos here and there I would like I was oblivious I had no idea at yeah. all right at all I just saw you with your beautiful like he's still a gorgeous little boy he's absolutely perfect mm-hmm. his little gorgeous eyes like I had no idea so for friends and family around you do you feel like you kind of isolated yourself from them with yeah. fear of anything being said do you think that's what happened I related to Louise really well because Louise had had a baby her first baby who so she had pictured this life for her daughter mm-hmm. and then when she was five months old they said she has this brain disorder and you know she won't live beyond five and like her whole her life changed that day of course it did oh so my I suppose I, I remember when he got diagnosed I remember that that day I went to the speech therapist Louise was my the person I rang because and I am not comparing our situations whatsoever but she just shared that feeling of your kind of child's future been taken away from me a little bit I remember being very lonely so like our relationship was really suffering we were always battling each other with kind of like our two different approaches yeah and I was just really really struggling with it and I'm sure he was too and I wouldn't talk to him about it Mm -hmm. I wouldn't so we weren't much of a team like so it was really lonely it was probably lonely for him as well and it was I felt I remember feeling like I was always on my own with Jack like even just going to the park, like I remember trying to bring him into the playground once or twice. And sometimes he'd go in and he'd be grand. Mm-hmm. He'd be fine. But he just had these days where it was like he was very confused. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember just, I used to be so jealous of other people and their yeah, kids and course. their just normal lives. And they looked so everything just looked so easy for them. And I was like everything was a battle it was really hard I just think the comparison thing that you're saying there like the jealousy of it all that's something that I can see in you that has changed completely since the first time I've met you you are like a completely different person now than to when the first time I met you and the the first time I even found out Jack was diagnosed it's like there's a different switch after going on in your head you're after putting these blinkers on and you're going no this is my son that's my husband these are this is my family and I'm going to fight and do everything to make Jack have the best life life he possibly can. Yeah. What brought you to that space? How hard is it to get there? We only actually chatted about this through the day. Oh, brilliant. There was, there was, <laughs> so I'm like, let me get my diary in. <laughs> so there was like, there was a two year period after Jack was diagnosed, I would say. That was just so difficult. So, yeah. Jack couldn't verbalize anything mm-hmm. so it was very hard for him to get his basic needs met it was and he was going through so many things in his head like so many sensory things and sleep issues he was always exhausted he was he was so anxious but he could never verbalize what he was going through imagine going through that no wonder you were saying you didn't want him to go anywhere because you're I say Jenny you could nearly feel how he felt because you were going he can't tell me what he wants so that's why you were and I think another thing what you're saying there I think it's another it's a trust thing as well you didn't want him with anyone else because you you knew what he wanted I trusted no one yeah Yeah. I was like you went going near my baby yeah I was like his voice I was his 
sleep. I was, <laughs> you know, he depends on me for everything. And I kind of could anticipate his needs. Yeah. So I felt like when he, like at the age he was meant to go into Montessori and I did try out Montessori a bit and he went a little bit, but mm-hmm. she let me go too. Even watching him in that situation. And that's as far as I would go. So I remember kind of, for those two years, that was the hardest part. Like, it's very hard to watch your child struggle every day. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, so it's like, it's very physically and mentally demanding. So we were so sleep deprived. Yeah. Like at that point, sleep, he was still waking up in the middle of the night and he could be up for hours. So yeah. we were really tired. We were not getting on. And we were watching this this everyday battle with Jack. And so it was, it was just, it was so hard for the both of us. But so mentally we both, I think, like we were both quite depressed and, but we were, it wasn't awful every day. I feel like I'm making it sound. No, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're just, you're saying what Linda with a Y is all about and what I told you before. It's all about honesty, Jen. And you're being honest about what everyday life was. And for, look, every year in everyone's life isn't going to be amazing. Do you know what I mean? There's going to be hard years, there's going to be good years. That's every relationship, Jen. So this just yeah. happened very early on in your relationship and you had to deal with this. But to get you out of it, like, what do you think was the steps for you to say? The right? turning point. Yeah, the turning point. I think I remember, um, I think he'd gotten to about four. I remember when we bought a house and we were we were building and we were doing it up and everything. I remember it was really stressful and it was something that was like supposed to be really enjoyable, but we just couldn't enjoy it because all this was going on in the background. And then when we moved into the house, Jack's sleep went from bad to worse. Because you were taking um, him away from his usual, um, is that what yeah, it is? Yeah, maybe. Things had just changed for him and that was just how he reacted to it. And as well, we were at that point when he was four that I feel like the more time passed, I had, we had been throwing everything into it. I mean, we had been, we were trying so hard to get him to talk. We had so much OT we were trying to figure out sleep. We tried everything. He was in cranial sacral therapy. We were doing everything with him. Mm-hmm. And he still wasn't talking. And the more time passed, I, f- I felt like a failure. Yeah. Like the more I was like, oh God, he's four. I would have thought at this stage he'd be doing this by now. And it just wasn't happening. It was just such a slow process. Mm-hmm. I feel like the turning point was he got, so at that point he had gotten really bad, a, a little bit regressive. And he kind of some new behaviors, like when he was very frustrated, he was starting to bite his hands. And I remember that was just horrific. So at the time he had home tuition. Now I loved home tuition because home tuition was in your house. So I was there. I was a a part of it and he never had to leave the home. Yeah. And she, the tutor that he had at the time was lovely. Her name was Dana. And she knew of a speech therapist who ran these, classes like three days a week and they mainly focused on social skills and speech and she has there's so there's speech therapist there I think there's OT there and there's a Montessori teacher there and they run these little groups with like six or seven kids they're all ASD and it was brilliant so I remember going to the interview for that I mean not an interview but going to meet with them to decide like okay this is right for him we're gonna Mm -hmm. put him into the class and I remember meeting Angela she was the speech therapist it was her company I remember carrying him in and because I carried him around all the time even though he was four and a half yeah 
And we got in and she was like, oh, why are you carrying them? And Robbie was like delighted. He like sang <laughs> like a canary. He was like, well, oh, if Jack doesn't want to wear his shoes, Jenny just makes a carry him. And, um, and he was like, oh, she sleeps in bed with him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she rocks him. He wants to be rocked to sleep. She'll rock him. Oh, Robbie just like, letting it all out. me out. He got it all out. <laughs> <laughs> I say he was dying to say it. <laughs> Yeah, you could tell he was like, he wouldn't shut off the whole thing. He just like told her everything. Fair play and to him. He needed to know, Jen. He needed He to. did. Yeah. Oh, no, I was like, I probably, I needed that. Yeah. So I feel like actually going to achieve and meeting Angela was a real turning point for us wow. because she was able to say, okay, Jenny, he's four and a half. You won't be able to carry him forever. Well done. So you need to take these steps now to give him some independence. And she was like, what do you mean like he can't because she, she was telling me about the group and she's like yeah so we do speech therapy and they, they learn to sit with each other in a group and I was like and am I there and she was like oh no no parents aren't in it and I was like what <laughs> and she was what like no Jenny you can't come but she was like he, you can send Dana with him his tutor so it was really good it was the only way I think I was going to be able to separate from him and he was going to be able to separate from me yeah so it was it meant that we were able to do it so gently because he loved Dana and he was so comfortable with her. So she was there with him as his, his support and it worked really well for him. It was brilliant. Wow. And, and we also started working with a behavior analyst, Joanne, and she would come to my house and we'd have meetings and she'd work with them. And she'd she was just brilliant with them and she was brilliant with me. So she I started to learn a lot. Like I really started to learn everything about his autism and exactly like what the steps I need to take to to teach him things and to give him his independence and they were kind of my support system like I remember toilet training him I was like oh Joanne he, he doesn't want to go on toilet I'm just going to put a nappy on him and yeah. she wouldn't let me Fair and she was like no that. yeah so they were kind of like they gave me a bit of tough love which is what I needed but I think that is what you needed but all you were trying to do was protect him from the world Jen you weren't doing anything yeah. wrong here you just didn't want him to ever feel like he couldn't do it. And I know what you're talking about. Like the way you're saying that you couldn't verbalise what you wanted. That's so frustrating. Yeah. You just never wanted him to feel that frustration. Oh, but I just some, to take it away. Yeah, but sometimes he had to feel that frustration to learn something. And that's what they were yeah. trying to say to you. Is that what it was? And that's what they say. They say every experience he's going to go through is a learning experience. So yeah. no experience is a bad experience. Yeah. And I really had to kind of learn that. Um, and it, it, it was it was so good and so he, he was around other kids he was getting low and they trained us up they were like get this pecs book so when he wants something you do not so Jack would just come up to me and put, like open the fridge and I'd be like oh he wants this he wants an ice pop he probably lived on ice pops back then yeah. as well and then so she was like he needs to take the picture of the ice pop and bring it over to you he needs to display some form of communication for you to give him what he wants and that was a really big thing. Wow. So we started to do that. So it was just, we were learning so much. And um, that was a real turning point for Jack, definitely. And um, things definitely started to get better. Um, and then I got him into, so he was still doing a little bit of Montessori. He'd go with Dana, but it, it would only last kind of maybe half an hour here and there. And he would just be so overwhelmed with the amount of kids. And then we moved him out to, he started to do, when he was five, he started to do two days in Achieve and three days in a Montessori in Lakshini. Okay. So I was bringing him out there because this Montessori had a couple of ASD kids in and they all had their 
tutors with them. So it kind of worked really well. His biggest struggle was being around uh, a, like a, a large group of people, yeah. dealing with everybody else's noise. So it was just, there's a lot, he's, he's still even now in school, that's what he struggles with. But you know what, so Jen, that even big... with us, like, I like even with anyone like that doesn't have ASD, dealing with a large crowd is horrible anyway. So imagine, yeah. imagine, imagine him trying to say to everyone, oh, like I hear that noise really loud, but he can't verbalize it and, like, as, yeah. as he wants to. So I can see why you're trying to protect him from it, but I just think it's so amazing. These women and these wet, these men that work with the kids and that even says to you, look at Jen, let him live his life. And that's the way he's going to, he's mm. going to grow from it. That's just unbelievable. Yeah. So, and I, we were learning, like, I think that was the biggest thing, us learning what to do. So we were always then doing things with them to make them communicate, like finding what he re finding things that really motivated them to talk. Yeah. Um, and we were doing it all the time. And we were also doing more kind of OT. We'd always done OT with them, but the OT was really focused around his sleep because that was the biggest problem at the time. Mm -hmm. And now we'd kind of come through that his sleep was gradually getting a bit better. So he would constantly be looking for sensory feedback. Okay, That's why kids on the spectrum yeah. flap their hands, go up on their tippy toes, or even make like a really why make their mouth go really wide because if you do that to your face now do you see what you feel yeah it's that like the pressure goes away then yeah it's, it's like a regulation the, it's like they're kind of trying to regulate is that what it is so basically it's your proprioceptive system okay. is the me you get the message your brain sends to your extremities like your muscles your joints your skin that gives you body awareness and when you're on the spectrum that message is askew it's unclear so you have very little body awareness and you can have very little feeling in your body okay so you're constantly looking for sensory feedback yeah so i remember an ot explained it to me she was like trying to simplify it for me and she said if you've ever been to the dentist and you've got numbed so you know when you when you go home and you still have that little feeling of numbness yeah so it's a child on the spectrum can have that all over oh my god which makes me so sad. Makes me so sad as well. Jen, so, wouldn't you just love to feel yeah. it for five minutes? Just feel what you feel for yeah. five minutes, just Can to understand imagine? it more. And imagine feeling like that and trying to cope with all the other factors in your environment. Oh, and, God. you know, when you're when you're in a really busy environment and you're, it must just be so hard for them. Like I even noticed with Jack, he's so calm when he's at home because he has so much access to, his sensory needs like yeah. he has a swing he has a trampoline and he's loads of sensory play and products and stuff that he can that makes him feel better yeah so but I do think so that that's a massive thing like you have to remember when you're looking at childs like I think people look at kids on the spectrum and think oh look at the behavior or like they have loads of behavioral problems they don't. They have so much going on in their bodies and their, and their minds. Heads. You yeah. have no idea. Jenny, oh my God, I'm just thinking now, how did you get through lockdown when you first found out the lockdown was happening? Oh, so the, I think the first few days I just cried my eyes out. I was in a total panic. I was like, we're finally getting somewhere with them. Yeah. And now with this fucking pandemic, like, <laughs> nothing Why? ever works out for me. Why? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I was, we were so determined to keep going and not let Jack regress mm -hmm. so I kind of turned the front room into a little classroom from and um, and he always kind of worked in there with his tutors and stuff anyway so I had loads of materials 
and I had loads of stuff from Joanne. I started working with them and we made this, like lockdown was actually so good. It really kind of was very healing for our relationship because we just got to this point where we we finally had to talk about it and we had to lean on each other. Yeah. That's gorgeous. That, that, you've made me cry so many times, but I've t- <laughs> haven't told you that I'm crying. I'm like, just hold it back. Don't let her know. <laughs> but it's like it needed to happen. I want to go and give yeah. Robbie a big hug. I swear to God, I'm like, Robbie, you tell her what she's doing. I know. <laughs> Robbie, can I just say, like, Robbie is unbelievable with Jack. Like, if you ever want to hear Jack, like, hysterically laugh, Aww. it's always when he's with Robbie. Aww. And Robbie's brilliant. He's like, Robbie's really opened him up. He's made him this, like, really fun, cheeky little person. And he goes off, he, he takes Jack off on his little adventures all the time. Like, he'll, and he'll take him off most days, like, even if I'm just making the dinner. And Jack adores Robbie. He's such a brilliant dad. That's amazing. And you know what's so funny, Jen? I see, like, just like me and you have our voice note relationship. I've seen Robbie sometimes in St. Dan's Park. So I obviously know what Jack looks like. And then I know yeah. what Robbie looks like from her Instagram. So I'd be like staring at him from afar. I'm like, look at him. <laughs> like, you see him on like a <laughs> Robbie loves to talk. Like, like Robbie will come home from work sometimes. And this is when I was like, don't talk to me. I was talking to this woman and now she has a friend and I'd be like, what? He's he literally like the dogs on the fucking street now about that, Robbie. <laughs> But Jenny, I think that Bobby was so good for talking. you. You're like a yin and a yang. Like imagine, like you yeah, needed so someone to bring you out. You needed someone to say, Jenny, this is okay. This is what's yeah. happening, and that's why I see such a change in you, Jenny. You are like this is my obviously like it's your son. You love him more than like more than anything. But you're just gonna fight for your son. You're gonna make sure your son has the best life he can. And like every time I voice on yeah. you about something with, with my kids, and you voice on me back, you always make me feel so calm. That's oh, what you give you. me is such a calm. And it's gas because what Robbie gives you is such a calm. And you're just in there being like, ah! <laughs> Yeah, like internally I'm not calm. <laughs> I think as well, it's, it's given me a lot of confidence. I think so, big time. I think it has built your confidence so much, Jen. So much. I had to hit that really low point where like things were just not getting better. Jack was not getting better. And I was probably holding him back a bit. Yeah, and I was obviously it was it's it's not nice when your relationship is suffering and you're not yeah. getting on. You know what I mean? Like it's just not nice. It's, yeah. it's not a nice feeling, and it can be very lonely at times. And then when lockdown happened, then you say the two years you were forced to go. Let's let's talk about this. We were kind of yeah, we were kind of forced to really talk about it, and um and I think that was one of the first times we talked about that day that he was diagnosed. We had never talked about that. Oh my god, Jen, that's unreal. And there was loads of things we just hadn't talked about but it so I think we were so driven and determined to make sure that Jack was okay throughout this and that he wasn't going to regress or struggle now you can't help some regression but so I set up the little kind of classroom and we had a visual schedule so every morning we Robbie would go to work I'd make Jack's visual schedule and we would do um and like work time at the table baking sensory play and then Robbie would come home in the afternoon and then that'd be Robbie's time and Robbie would take him off to the wow. beach or the park or and he'd do something really fun with them. So Jack really thrived on this because wow. this was great for him because yeah. he was at home and I was his teacher and he didn't, he was so comfortable. Yeah. 
and you were after getting the tools off the other teachers. So this wouldn't have happened yeah. well if you didn't get the tools already from the teachers that have already taught you. And now you were ready, if in a sense, you were ready for that oh, time. It was such it was so like it's invaluable. Like when you start with like speech therapy, OT, um, like play therapy, you learn so much that'd be the best advice I could give learn from these people because you are going to be the best teacher they trust and love you so much they're going to get the most out of what you can do with them yeah so we were working so yeah I was doing loads of work with them and then the 28th of March happened tell them about the day the day this particular day so Jack had been up before I was before lockdown the tutors were working with them and so it would be like a a little book of pictures and they'd say okay show me the green book show me the purple flower whatever and he'd kind of be looking at it and he's so clever like it would all be in his head but he couldn't verbalize it and he would just get so frustrated and upset and I'd hear him from the other room when they were trying to get him to kind of when they were doing these kind of exercises with him and it was just such a struggle for him but I, he was getting better. He was at this point that he was kind of starting to say words and he was saying swing and he was saying ice pop sometimes. And it wasn't every day, but the, the words were coming. And this particular day, I sat down with them and I was like, OK, show me the um, purple flower or whatever. And he was like, purple flower. Oh, my God. Oh, green book. And he said, I think I asked him 20 words. And I have the video. I sent you the full you video. Me, I like, was balling. I was absolutely oh, balling. I'll never forget so you sent me this. I'll never forget. Like It was like, I don't know what, it was just like magic. He just was so engaged. He was so excited that he could say words. He was so happy. with The biggest smile on his face saying oh them. Oh my God. Like it literally, and it lifted my, it just was like medicine it was like the biggest high I've ever felt in my entire life wow. like better than like I always thought like oh the day your child's born no that was <laughs> that was fucking hard that's not even talk about later but like this was like just like unbelievable it was something I'd dreamt about for years I sent it to Robbie I, I sent it to absolutely everyone and all his therapists like Joanne and everyone rang me and everyone was just so delighted and it was just it was this massive like reward for yeah. all those years for years work. and that's something that me and jenny spoke before the podcast and what we want to portray in the podcast and what jenny want to portray in the podcast like this is something that was years in the making years yeah. like it didn't happen overnight like this it was a lot of no so much work goes in and it's such a slow process because they just develop at their own pace yeah but like no matter what, like keep going because you will get there and the payoff is huge. Yeah. Like huge. It was I still look I still watch that video if Jenny, I so, ever feel So do I. <laughs> I still yeah, watch I that know. video. It's, <laughs> it's just because I had I had I listened to you for so long about, you know, you're going to this therapy, you're going to that therapy, and just to see this now, I was like, Oh my god, I I just I can could only imagine the feeling you had. And what would you say yeah. to Robbie now? If you could say anything to Robbie now about you were saying he's such a great dad and all that kind of stuff. Like what was Robbie like that day when that happened? Oh, he was delighted. Like I sent it to him and he sent it to everyone he knew as well. Uh, Like I even remember some of his friends getting in touch with me. Like uh, one friend, Dave, he was lovely. He sent me a lovely message and was like, you know, 
well done like fair play to you you know we're all so proud of you and um it I know it must be so hard and you're both we think you're both just amazing and like that was just so it's so lovely to hear because as I said before I was starting to feel like such a failure yeah like I was like our relationship's failing our child's failing (laughs) my whole life is falling apart I just was like in such a bad state. But you see, like, you're gas because you all laugh at that. Like that's what this is what mine and Jenny's voice notes are. I'm like, Jenny, my life's in ruins, but I'm pretending to everyone on the podcast and it's okay. That's what I love about your podcast. Like, I love your podcast because it's so honest. Yeah. And and it's nor and it normalizes things. But that's what I want like, why I've been trying to get you on for so long. But then in the meantime, you decided to go off and get married and do all these other things. I was like, I can't ask her yet. So actually tell them uh, all about that so like you and Robbie they were like everything became okay and then you were like right this is the time to get married lockdown actually was a great time for you yeah, I think yeah I had a pretty good lockdown like we just started to get on so well and as I said we started to really talk and we just came together and like he really appreciated what I was doing with Jack we, we played to our strengths like I'm really good at like working with Jack and doing all the appointments and what needs to be done and like baking with them and sensory play Robbie hates all that yeah. and he doesn't have the patience for it yeah and um but Robbie's brilliant at bringing Jack out and he does and the, the most fun things with him and he's so good at playing with him and getting him to talk and getting him really engaged um or even like when, so I, I'm very nervous bringing him out still I just I'm kind of on edge. I'm like, oh, yeah. You think of what could happen all the time. Like he might I'm catastrophizing yeah. all the time. Yeah. Whereas Robbie's just so laid back and he's just so brilliant with him. And even when we're out, if Jack's kind of struggling, like Robbie will like pretend to fall and Jack could be like in hysterics. And ah, God love him. He's just he's just so good with him. Like he's he really is. And I think I started to just really love and appreciate Robbie more and vice versa so it was just really good for us yeah and then we said we'll get married sure why not and then he said why not sure let's do it you looked absolutely gorgeous and it was such even looking at the day you got married I was like ah oh, god like you know you, you just have been through so much together and just to see yeah. this that's like another validation as well wasn't it? it was like right let's do this guys it's the three of us we're our little family let's yeah. go do this we finally kind of came together. I think, yeah, we, we came through. I mean, I don't know how we stayed together. That <laughs> two years. Yeah, that two years after he was diagnosed, it was it was just such a struggle. It was very hard to get. It was very hard because I was depressed. He was depressed. I couldn't talk about it. He really wanted to talk about yeah. it. And all of the, the whole, all the while we were trying to deal with this child who was suffering. Like, it yeah. was just, it was really, and throw in the chronic sleep deprivation yeah you know it was it was really hard and then we just oh we just finally got to this point where we were and not just it wasn't that like Jack made this like miraculous recovery but we had just really grown and kind of we'd we'd learned a lot and we just knew we had the tools to cope and to deal with things and we knew what we were doing and even we're like kind of a well-oiled machine now like even on a day that Jack is off and like he's having a bad day we're like okay will we put this in the schedule and we'll do this with them and maybe we won't go here because that'll be too crowded so we'll do a beach day and we just we just know what we're doing now and yeah. when he's first diagnosed you don't know what you're doing like yeah. no one knows and, no, and you're not supposed to know so Jenny I begged you to come on 
I begged you, yeah. I begged you, I begged you to come on. But why did you want to come on yourself? Why did you want to come on? Why did you want to come on for Jack, for Robbie? Who was it for? What is your why? My why is, I think I suppose because I think I'm finally at a point where I can talk about it mm-hmm. and openly. And I feel like I have some something, I've, I can give advice now. Yeah. Okay, so I basically wanted to say, always remain hopeful. Like, it's really, really hard at the start, but like everything you're doing, that is going to pay off eventually. Like everything you're doing now, all that hard work, because you do feel, I think at times, very much like you're like dragging yourself to these appointments, exhausted, and life is just so hard. But everything changes. Things change all the time. Like you'd be amazed at how much you're going to grow and you'd be amazed at what your child's going to do. And you will... I just think you will get there. Like, I remember bringing Jack to Nando's one day with Robbie mm-hmm. and he wasn't having a great day. I was very nervous there with him. I was like, oh, I just feel like he's not going to settle and just, he's not going to settle into this. And as soon as we ordered, we, as soon as the food got there, Jack had this massive meltdown and he was yeah. running around in circles, screaming the place down in Nando's. So I was like, okay, I'll get the food. You take him to the car. And I remember sitting there waiting for the food, feeling everyone's eyes like burning into the back of my skull. Yeah. I was absolutely dreading standing up and walking out of there because everyone was staring at me. And I was like, oh, God. And I just felt someone come over to me and sit right beside me. And this girl came over and she said, hi, my name's Lisa. I said, look, I have two boys on the spectrum. I think they were like eight and 12. And she's like, you know, this this does get better. You know, everything's going to be okay. She said, I actually promise you, like, this will be okay. And she was just like, you know, I went through all these things with my little boys and I was worried about getting a school place because that's a big thing as well. You've got nothing but rejection letters from schools. You don't know where your child's going to go to school. And she was just lovely. And she just, she gave me this lift that I really needed. So um, I feel like, yeah, my message would be, to just always remain hopeful keep doing what you're doing and that's 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 all you need to say that's all you need to say I've had tears in my eyes all the time you were saying that story Jenny Samson I wanted you on as I said the whole way through the podcast for the, for so long you have just been such an inspiration for even me just sending you little stupid voice notes about anything you always help me you're so calm and you've the confidence you have gotten over the past few years, Jenny, I could not be prouder of you. The way you're speaking Aww. today. Think about Jenny in Australia at 23. She couldn't talk to me the way you spoke to me today. <laughs> in no way could she. Your confidence has just came, came along so much. And you guys yeah. are the most beautiful family ever. And thank you so much. No, thank you. I love you. Jenny Samson. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>